this future is yours. Like you guys are being shaped by this pandemic in a way that no other generation will be. You're old enough to remember it. You're old enough to change it. You're old enough to transform it. Um, but you're young enough that you've got the rest of your life and careers to be influenced by this. From Alaska Teen Media Institute, this is Podcast in Place, Youth Stories from the Quarantine, a series about youth in Alaska during the COVID-19 pandemic. We're bringing you stories, interviews, and audio diaries from teenagers and young adults stuck indoors without anything else to do. I'm Atme producer Ryan Danigal, recording this from my home studio since the main Atme studio is closed for the time being. We have a very different episode for you today. Rather than hear about the experiences of an Alaska youth in quarantine, we have an interview with Dr. Ann Zink, the Chief Medical Officer of the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. You might remember her from the Governor's press briefings on the coronavirus. At me, producer Danielle DeClose spoke with Dr. Zink remotely about how COVID-19 affects youth, how it compares to other pandemics, best practices to ensure everyone stays safe and healthy, and what an Alaskan summer during a pandemic is going to look like. The interview was recorded on June 5th, 2020. to me a little bit about how COVID's been affecting youth and teens and from your perspective how are youth specifically being impacted? Yeah so I think it's a really great question. I think that the role of children both in the spread of the disease as well as in youth is still unknown and so I think that really youth and um, and kids and younger kids have been kind of caught in the middle of it and I think particularly teens um, we don't know the rate at which they get COVID. Uh, we do know that some do get COVID and, and get very sick. Many don't. Many get it and, and do just fine. Um, but I think particularly youth are incredibly social. This is the time to like spread your wings and leave home and, and hang out with your friends. And instead, you've all been trapped in these bubbles uh, with your parents uh, for way too long and um, are needing uh, to get out. I think that many of our youth are, are really great at social media and finding ways to connect in other ways. Um, but there's something meaningful about being with people in person and being able to connect outside of uh, social media. So yeah, I really feel badly for our youth in this. It's been, um, I feel like they've kind of get caught up in this pandemic as um, it's not directly directed at them. They're not having it hit as hard. And so, but th their role and so much of their life is being uh, shaken apart because of COVID. So um, it's, it's really hit youth in all sorts of different ways. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would agree with that one. <laughs> um, so in what you've seen and learned, what is it like for a young person to have the virus? What is that experience like? Because it does impact them differently. And we do see kind of the experience of older adults, but how, what is it like for someone, let's say my age, you know, late teens to get sick? Yes, that's a great question. I guess I would probably break it into two parts. So like, what would it be like if you got sick, but then also how is the disease affecting youth in other ways besides kind of social connection? So, you know, if a youth gets sick, a lot of times people don't even know, like they get symptoms, maybe they have a little bit of runny nose or sore throat and that's like it and goes on and, and doesn't even know that that happened. Um, nothing more than you would notice from just a common cold or something else. Some youth can get quite sick. We've had young teens need to be hospitalized. Um, and then it's similar symptoms uh, to what we see in older adults. Bad cough, shortness of breath, need oxygen support. Most younger people who need hospitalization do very well. Um, just the support of oxygen do does very, very well. There's a lot of youth, however, who have underlying medical conditions. 
Particularly in youth, people can also present with a, a very odd, what we call vasculitis. They can get kind of a rash, particularly on their toes and fingers, and uh, that can be their body's a kind of autoimmune system reacting strongly to it. So particularly in youth, it can present as a rash uh, rather than a cough, cold, and congestion, which is a little bit different. The other thing that I would just mention is that particularly those over the age of 12 uh, are thought to be able to get the disease and potentially carry it on to others. And so then I think about that in terms of youth hanging out uh, and all seeing each other and then uh, visiting their grandparents or hanging out with their mom who then works at a long-term care facility. And so we see transmission patterns um, like that. And so just then it ends up affecting the whole family in a different way. And not that it's any fault of the of the teen, but um, is, is just a part of the nature of this disease, which I think is part of the reason it's been so hard to control is because you can feel just so fine and not know that you have it and be totally fine, yet transmit to someone who really does not do well. So it's one of the real challenges of this disease. So what is important for you to understand about COVID-19, especially now that the state is reopening and people are kind of stepping away from social distancing, even though they probably shouldn't, and they're starting to interact more, what is important for them to really understand about COVID? Yes, I think we're in this challenging transition right now. So when it first was coming up and we were seeing the cases, you know, the governor, we just really tried to like close things down, uh, build up healthcare capacity and hold it at bay. And those numbers just plummeted. We kind of started to go up and our curve just flattened right off. And almost for a month there, we were having hardly any cases. It was, it was great. <laughs> it was a few cases at a time and really low community transmission, but we're definitely on our way back up now. Um, and we are, we are definitely hitting another wave. But the hard thing is, is that even if we were to say, go ahead and we're gonna close everything else down, previous data and science from other epidemics and pandemics show that it never works as well the second or third time. And so we have to transition from expecting the government to just say we shut this down to all of us individually, personally taking on what that means and being able to find a way moving forward. Unfortunately, a lot of the outbreaks that we're seeing down the Kenai right now are from young gatherings uh, to celebrate graduation and Memorial Day. And that is really uh, spreading the disease um, right now, both amongst Anchorage as well as Akinai. When I watch a big group of people getting together for Memorial Day or a concert, it's like watching an 80-year-old on a motorcycle with no helmet going 90. And I'm just like, ah, I hope that goes okay, but I don't think it's going to go okay. Think about that when you're doing those things. There's risk and we, we all tolerate some degree of risk, but no that things that were not once risky are risky right now. And um, I, don't think, I don't think we've embodied that um, as a state yet. So summer is traditionally the time for family and fun, as you mentioned, like gathering, Memorial Day, 4th of July. Um, but what does summer look like for kids and youth during a global pandemic? Like what is going to Big Lake <laughs> or the 4th of July? Like what, what does that look like now? Yeah, it's a great question. And um, it's, uh, I love the question, what does summer look like in a pandemic? You know, those are questions I never thought I would be asked, you know, six months ago, but here we are. I think that the great thing about this state is that we can enjoy so much of it in a socially distanced and mindful way, right? We are just really fortunate to live up here. I mean, right now I'm looking outside and my kids, uh, one of who's a teenager, are packing up to go pack rafting with their dad next week. Um, and so you can be in boats and hang up and, you know, hang out with your friends. Boats are a great way to have social distancing because you can't get near each other if you're like all in rafts and you can like go hang out uh, in Big Lake together and, and use that. I saw an advertisement for a bar where they took um, inner tubes and put them around every person so you couldn't bump into each other. And I was like, I should just get a bunch of inner tubes and, and have people hang out in the water and you can't bump into each other uh, that way. So I, I think that we can have a ton of fun this summer. Uh, it's a great way for Alaskans to celebrate Alaska and to go rafting and fishing and 
looks like Denali National Park, the road's going to be open for one of the first times. Like there's so many cool things in our state. Um, I'm just really grateful that so much of that can be celebrated. So I actually think it could be a great summer for a lot of Alaskans uh, to have a lot of fun. But we have to be really mindful over those barbecues and the big gatherings and what those look like. So I think finding a small bubble of people that you're going to kind of keep as your small bubble. And if you're gathering larger, gathering distanced and gathering outside. So instead of, you know, seeing 10 friends, uh, picking one or two friends. Those are the people you're going to see. And when you see them, you hang out outside and you play soccer or you go for a run together or you, you know, watch movies outside at night or do something else fun that makes you connected, but not seeing as many people, uh, not touching and, and uh, doing it outside. Another rule of thumb that I've been using recently is, you know, try to do all indoor stuff for less than 10 minutes. If you have to go inside, make it less than 10 minutes for absolutely everything, unless it's absolutely essential work or it's in your own house. I also think that, um, you know, at least I think about my daughters who are super into their uh, fashion, uh, but um, masks are a really important way to help minimize the, the spread of it. And I wish that the youth could take that on and help make them cool and trendy and make it so everyone wears them because that would help a lot uh, in keeping businesses open. So if we can find a way to embrace that uh, as a community, as a culture, uh, I think that that will go a long way. Yeah, for sure. I definitely, I feel like the people who are wearing masks the least are youth, probably mm -hmm. because of, you know, the fact that they aren't the coolest and there's the idea that we don't get sick, but they are really important. So could you tell me about where we are right now in the timeline or the process of a pandemic compared to other viral or disease outbreaks that we've had? Like where, what point in time are we at? When we look at past pandemics, you know, we look at what other tools. So all states, we've always had these like pandemic plans. They've usually been built on influenza pandemic plans uh, just because that has been the most common even since the 1918 pandemic. We've seen H1N1. That was a, a fairly big pandemic that hit youth more than adults. It didn't hit Alaska um, youth quite the same way. Unfortunately, our native population has been hit harder consistently with every pandemic uh, moving forward. So I think that's just important to remember in this uh, country and in this state that we have to be super mindful up here because we've just been consistently hit harder uh, with other pandemics. Really what we're hoping for uh, and what we're looking towards uh, is, is a vaccine. Um, so there are many diseases like smallpox that circled around the world multiple times over and we never uh, were able to get to quote herd immunity until we got a vaccine. And so I think when I hear this, oh, we'll just let it go through until we, we, get, uh, um, until we get herd immunity, we need to remember history that, that that just doesn't always work that way. It just sometimes can kill a lot of people uh, over and over again. The other thing too is, is with like flu, when people say, oh it's, oh, it's just like the flu, for flu, we have an antiviral, we have a vaccine, and so we have two different treatment options that are there. Uh, and with flu, it uh, tend, people tend to get sicker quicker and doesn't tend to hit uh, the kidneys in the same way and cause as much problems with like strokes, like younger people can get strokes and clots within the lungs. So it's really, it really is a different disease um, and it takes longer to show up. The other thing too is we don't see as much asymptomatic spread in flu. If you have got flu, you have the flu. Versus here, um, we have all these people who have the disease, don't know they have the disease and are spreading it. And that makes it much harder to control. If you don't feel well and you have the flu, then you stay home. Um, and we still see that spread every year. But with this, um, people can be so mildly symptomatic or even become sick, but they have a lot of viral load before they become symptomatic. And so they're shedding a lot of that beforehand. So we have to put that into context. I think it's also important to remember that there's been numerous pandemics and, and epidemics. Uh, and then 1818 was kind of our last really, really big one. And we had one in 68, we had the H1N1. And so we've built off of uh, those 
but even with the 1918, we had masks. We encouraged people to wear masks. People protested masks, said it was, you know, covering their speech. I mean, we're just repeating history with so many of these things. Uh, but we did see with that as well, that it did decrease the viral load and that in that epidemic and with that influenza, it hit hard and you didn't have the same viral shedding early likely versus this one, it's different. So it's even more important than this one. So uh, we, we have a ways to go. First or second inning. <laughs> wow. Um, so actually going off of that, um, in the 1918 pandemic, what lessons have we learned, especially when it comes to spread in urban areas like Anchorage compared to rural parts of the state, like the villages and where the Native Alaskan populations are largely residing? Yeah, so I think the 1918 pandemic, uh, we learned a couple different things. One, when people acted quickly, uh, it really didn't have the same sort of uh, hit. So we've, a lot of us have learned about Louisiana and Philadelphia, or excuse me, uh, St. Louis and Philadelphia and the big parade. Uh, those big gathering events can definitely be escalating events. And so always super highly concerned about what those look like. Um, we also saw from the 1918 that you would sometimes have multiple waves. They had a spring wave and they had a really bad fall wave. And so we need to remember and think about that. I think as mentioned previously in, in many of our native communities, we've had most epidemics and pandemics hit harder. Part of that is just the health inequities um, between different communities. The other thing, and something that makes me very concerned about COVID is when people live in a household together, there's a high rate of spread within that house. 80 to 90% of all the households would get it. So if you have a multi-generational home, which many of our native homes, particularly in rural areas are, there's just a really high chance that everyone in that household will get it. And particularly those who are older will get very sick from it and it could, it could move very quickly within a village. And because of the distances and remote location, um, I, I worry about like how far out they are, how quickly it could spread and how sick people could get the differences are that this hits slower. Um, so 1918, people would be okay, and then the next day they could die. Versus this is a much slower disease process. Once people start to get sick, they can get sick quite quickly, but there's a while between diagnosis, uh, two to three weeks um, before they really need ICU care. And so I think that we need to use that to our advantage um, and be able to identify cases really quickly and be able to move people out of homes, be able to move into other areas as quickly as possible. And that's why testing is such an important part, particularly for our state. I also think that in the 1918 pandemic, we didn't have testing. We didn't have, you know, mass uh, like evacuation. We didn't have Zoom. <laughs> so we didn't have all these ways to like be educating each other about what was happening and being able to move people in and out. And so I think we need to remember what's different about the 1918 pandemic as well. Learn from our past, but also apply our new tools and, and try to help create a different future. But we're a long way from being done. The, the fall and winter uh, are highly concerning. Wow. Yeah. It's, you, think, you think you're on your way. No, 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 no. It's good that you're, sometimes I think like, especially when for me, I'm not like out and seeing so much of people in masks or people being sick. And so then you're like, well, it seems like things are fine because I'm fine, but you know, that's, mm -hmm. that's not the case. But since Alaska has had one of the lowest case counts in the nation and we've been able to start opening up, why do you think we've been able to do so? And why do you think we've been able to have such a low case count? Yeah, I, I, honestly, part of it's luck, I think. Um, you know, it uh, hit in the lower 48 prior to here, uh, and it hit harder. And so I think um, our population was more willing to move in these kind of uh, quick measures to close things down uh, because they were seeing what was happening in New York and other places. If it had hit here first, uh, I worry that we would have been hit much harder. So part of it's just purely luck. Um, part of it is really kind of Alaskans kind of stepping up to that and really socially distancing and taking that super seriously. I think part of it is our population density. We're already naturally spread out, and so that makes it easier as well. Um, 
although there was a, a study that was done by the CDC and we were expected to be like the 16th state hit and one of the harder states hit because of the amount of travel we have uh, and because of our, our uh, rural locations and lack of healthcare. So again, we, we have a lot of reasons um, to, to be very mindful. We have little and very limited healthcare infrastructure within the state. We have had a little bit of a spike in cases recently, and do you think that's linked to the reopening? How do public officials determine whether that is because of reopening or some other factor? Yeah, you know, so I think of reopening as like these mandates and when they went to place, there was some interesting cell phone data that showed that a week before um, we lifted up a lot of the mandates, people chose to be done with the mandates, <laughs> like they were moving on their own anyway. So, you know, there's, there's mandates, but then there's also just people's behavior and those don't perfectly correlate. Um, and so, and that, that did lead into part of our decision to opening up to a degree. We're like, okay, our numbers are really low and people are moving anyway. Um, and so instead of having everyone hang out in a house and get together, like, you know, let's try to do it in a restaurant where we can socially distance and make sure everything's clean. You know, there, there's a part of just human behavior. That's a part of that. I do think that opening up, um, sent a message of that open meant over and it never meant over. And so uh, I, I hear it all the time from friends. They're like, I'm just confused. Uh, why do I still need to wear a mask? I don't, the messaging doesn't make sense to me. What, what do you mean we're still in it? And um, I think we all see and hear what we want to see or hear. I want to be done with COVID too. <laughs> like, trust me. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's never, that was never it. It's more that it's an individual responsibility now. That doesn't mean that the state is not responsible and the state doesn't have a real role to play. But we're trying to be more surgical in our approach. Uh, so working more with specific communities. And then there's a lot of work that happens with contact investigation uh, and isolation and really trying to isolate each one of those cases. Um, and so that's where a lot of our work is, is right now is in all these contact investigation and tracing. I think the other thing too is, you know, an earthquake we feel, we see, we all experience, and then we all just rebuild. And, uh, you know, we have aftershocks and it's never quite sure when it's going to be over, but um, at least we all experience it together. But like, just like you mentioned, you're in your bubble and it's hard to know, like, is it okay? Is it not okay? <laughs> if we're not feeling it in the same way um, universally uh, across the a path and, and that makes it harder to know what to do and when not to, how, how to interact with other people. So it's made the messaging more challenging for sure. Um, but I think long-term it's gonna be more sustainable if we can all find ways to be resilient in this time of COVID rather than just relying on these kind of big metrics to say open or close. I also think that this is a better time to try reopening than the fall when we are have everyone in indoor settings and we have flu on top of it. So. Um, just, you know, I, a lot of people are frustrated that the cases and numbers going up and I am not happy they're going up either, but uh, we have to figure out a way to balance um, economies and delayed healthcare and all these interactions um, because they have real consequences too. And the goal is healthy and well people overall, not just elimination of COVID. It's a balance between all of it. And kind of going back to the not really seeing the impact directly on you, so not quite understanding the full severity of COVID. Since Alaska has been less impacted compared to places like Chicago or New York, what do you say to those people who think it's not as serious or it's not a big deal for Alaska? You know, I really hope for them it never becomes a big deal. It reminds me a lot of when I take care of a patient in the emergency department who had a car accident and they say, you know, I, I wasn't planning on this. This is not part of my day. No one really plans to have a car accident. No one really plans on having the pandemic hit them. But that doesn't mean we don't wear a seatbelt. That doesn't mean that we don't follow the speed limit. That means it doesn't mean we don't put on air, you know, have airbags and work with industry. 
It doesn't mean that we don't have public really advocate for no drunk driving. It takes all of those things to minimize car accidents and they still happen. And I think we need to treat COVID in a similar way. We have to each take our part to minimize the death associated with it. And I hope that no one gets in a car accident and I hope no one dies from COVID, but history would tell us that there's going to be both of those and we all play a role in minimizing it. Wow, that is like the most perfect analogy I've ever heard for, <laughs> for explaining the severity. I feel like that should be, everyone should be using that because that makes, that's a very good way to communicate that. What does traveling to rural communities across the state for summer tourism or fishing look like during COVID? So, you know, as we talked about earlier, our rural communities have less health care and are more limited. And so I think that we really have to respect their individual rules. Um, as someone once said, let's enjoy Alaska, just not each other. Uh, so, you know, going out to rural areas and enjoying the place, but not hanging out with the people uh, to really minimize that, that spread and exposure. Uh, if people can directly travel to a you know, lake or a cabin and isn't going to interact with other people, there's really no additional risk outside of the risk of flying um, to that. So I think that thinking about ways that you can travel to rural areas without interacting with other people uh, is, is really, really helpful. That can be hard on, on things like planes. Um, and, and I think that we have to take into account that travel is one of the major accelerating factors of COVID. Uh, and so what you can do to minimize it. So if you're going to travel someplace, really quarantining for 14 days beforehand. So, you know, order your food in, you know, don't hang out with other people to really minimize your chance that you get it. Wearing a mask during travel, like if you're getting on a plane, partaking, many of our local rural communities have uh, testing on site. Um, and so we'll allow testing right there. So to, to get tested, to make sure that you don't have it. And again, staying six feet away from others, doing everything you possibly can outside in a smallpox outbreak. Uh, one group of people said, okay, we're gonna take care of each other. Let's hunker down, we'll get through this. And another group of people in Alaska said, spread to the winds, go out, see the world, and, and just be in the mountains. And that group did much better and had a very, a significantly lower death rate. So I would say the same thing to Alaska, like go spread to the winds, like go to the hills, go spread out, go play outside away from each other because that will keep you healthy and well, but minimize those interactions with each other. So particularly to youth, go, go do awesome trips this year. Like go explore. This is the summer to like really know and love your state. Your friends will be there later and more of your friends will be there later if you're taking care of each other. So go play. Yeah. That's what I, I've been looking through things I'm like, well, where do I want to go? There's so, I mean, there's so much of Alaska. It's, even though I've lived here my entire life and I've done hiking and things, there's so much you haven't seen yet because it is a massive state. So yeah, I think that's the, the campaign for the youth this summer is just to get outside. So what do people generally get wrong about COVID-19 and something that you would really like to correct or be like, no, that's not really how that works. This is how it works. Yeah, that's a great question. The things that come to my mind are open is not over. Uh, so we have a long way to go. We talked about that. Uh, it's not the flu. Um, and so that's another thing that comes up all the time. We talked a little bit about how they're different in general. I think the other big thing that I'm just thinking about a lot right now is this sense of like the government should do X, Y, or Z and it's going to all be okay it's like this great trust fall. If we all do a little bit, no one will fall. But if we each abdicate our own responsibility, it's going to be too much of a load and a lift for any of us. Um, and so I think we all have to step into that space. And so you've kind of talked about like the message that you want to send to youth or, and kind of the overall idea for them. But do you have something that to youth who are listening to this podcast that you really want them to take away at the end? Yeah, I mean, this is this future is yours. Like you guys are being shaped by this pandemic in a way that no other generation will be. You're old enough to remember it. You're old enough to change it. You're old enough to transform it. 
Um, but you're young enough that you've got the rest of your life and careers to be influenced by this. And um, I think something that's always inspired me is when there is a challenge, a war, an epidemic, a pandemic, it's usually the youth who rise to find new ways to fight it, to be creative and resilient. And that defines who they are for the rest of their life. You know, I, I, you know, you read stories from World War II and it was a lot of the youth who were able to create resistance efforts and to fight in that and to make a difference and that define them. Uh, this pandemic in some ways will define you and your generation and finding ways that are true to who you are in stepping into that space instead of just holding on and waiting till it passes uh, is the way that you're going to create not only the future for yourself, but the future for our entire country and our nation on everything from how our democracy is lived to the role that science plays in policy to the way that healthcare is delivered. Um, all of these things are going to be drastically different after this. And the youth of today will be the ones living with it and the ones who get to shape it right now. Thank you so much, Dr. Zink. Have a good day. That was at me producer Danielle DeClose speaking with Dr. Ann Zink, Chief Medical Officer of the Alaska Department of Health and Social Services. You've been listening to Podcast in Place, Youth Stories from the Quarantine from Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Devin Schreckengoss. Stay tuned for more stories from Quarantine Youth. You can find these stories at alaskateenmedia.org, where we have included resources for youth during quarantine as part of a partnership with the State of Alaska Division of Behavioral Health. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including United Way of Anchorage, the National Endowment of the Humanities, the Rasmussen Foundation through Arts and Education Fund, administered under contract by the Alaska State Council on the Arts. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our program and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Anchorage and help keep our podcast going, you can donate to our organization by going to alaskateenmedia.org and clicking donate. Also on our website, you can learn more about what our organization does, listen to past episodes of our podcast, and find out how you too can get involved. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Ryan Danigal. Thanks for listening. Remember, think like zinc. Stay safe out there. We'll get through this together.